Hey, this is Dan Bolton, and if you wanna create a life with more money, more meaning, and more freedom, you have to listen to the Shit You Don't Learn in College podcast with my good friend, Xander Fryer. How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlick Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. All right. How's it going, friends? Xander Fryer here, and we're back with another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And today we've got my good buddy Dan Bolton on. Now, Dan is happily married, father of two, and a seven-figure business owner from New Zealand who has helped clients generate over $75 million in the online consulting space. But his life has been anything but normal up to this point. He suffered from a drug and alcohol abuse issue at age 11. He dropped out of high school at 16, played in a traveling punk band in his teens, and eventually became a youth pastor for nine years in his 20s before finally leaving the church and starting out as an entrepreneur. This episode gets deep, and you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to dig into the importance of rock-bottom moments and how they can help change and save your life, why you will never succeed if you think you're going to be able to do it alone. And we dig into a journal entry of Dan's from three years ago where he's expressing all of his uh, self-worth issues uh, as he's starting off as an entrepreneur. And we talk about the importance of character and values in business. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. Every week, my team goes through our reviews. And for every new five-star review, we plant a tree to restore the rainforest in Madagascar and provide a child in India one year of e-learning. So give us a review and you're giving back too. All right. How's it going, everybody? Xander Fryer here, and we're back with another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. Today, we've got uh, possibly one of my favorite people in the world, my good friend, Dan Bolton on. Dan, how's it going, brother? Dude, it's going well. Hello from New Zealand. Uh, it's I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm really excited to get you on because you've got uh, you've got a wealth of experience. You've got an amazing story, and frankly, you're just a, a fun person. So I know this is going to be great. Um, so for for everybody that doesn't know you, I'd love for you to give just a quick, you know, two seconds on what it is you do now. I see the you know the ClickFunnels awards in the background, uh, you know, kind of slightly overshadowed by the kids' paintings directly above them. Um, but if you could just give a background on what you do currently, and then we can start to dig into some of your story. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what I do currently is not what I did for most of my life. We'll probably get into what I did. But what I do now and what I've done for the last three years is really help online experts, coaching consultants uh, scale their businesses online. So 
Typically, we help people with digital marketing. We help them get their message out. We work with very mission-driven entrepreneurs. So it's not just about growing their business. It's about increasing the amount of clients' lives they can change. And so um, that's been us for the last three years through a range of uh, agency services to coaching programs, both short and long. Uh, that's been our focus. And so, um, yeah, we kind of help people in the realm of marketing and sales primarily. All right. So you, you kind of alluded to, you know, you didn't, you didn't come out of the womb helping with marketing and sales, right? Um, no, I wish. So, so you've like, you've got a background of, of drinking and drug abuse, being a pastor, like punk rock bands, like, like all sorts of shit. So let's, let's go back, right? Let's go back to like, how did you grow up? Dude. So I grew up uh, here in New Zealand, which I think is an important note because um, it's uh, radically different to a lot of the world. Yeah. And um, it's a really, really beautiful place in so many different ways. And then it also has a very distinct culture. Like like we, like we, there's a lot of great things about New Zealand culture. Uh, there's a lot of things that I find very uh, hard about New Zealand culture. And so um, growing up, uh, my dad was not around. He was not in the picture. Uh, he was alive, but absent. Yeah. And so I grew up with a single mom. And so I had a older brother and sister about a decade older than me. My mom was a teenage mom to my older brother and sister yeah. with different dads. And uh, I grew up with kind of this older brother and sister that were uh, in and out of trouble. And so they were this very strong influence on my life. Uh, as much as I love them dearly, definitely got me into uh, a whole bunch of mischief early on in yeah. my life. And so growing up with single mom, uh, she was an incredible mom, but without a father figure in the house, not that you always have to have a father figure, but that that sense of uh, there was there was almost no rules it was yeah. i was very unruly and so yeah um yeah it was it was a really really interesting upbringing 10 11 12 uh years of age uh got into drinking and drugs through those older influences uh yeah. and uh you know we had close connections that were drug dealers and so uh there was just drugs all, always around so so i started smoking weed and, and drinking when i was 10 11 12 and uh had a very radical moment when I was uh, just shy of 13 years old. So like 10, 11, 12 uh, is obviously pretty young, Yeah. but but I had enough of a brain. I mean, obviously, technically, yeah. I guess I had half of a brain <laughs> from yeah. what I have now, but, but, but I started to see the pattern, right? I started to see like my life right now is a series of decisions and um, these decisions that I'm making are, are making me into yeah. someone I don't want to be and they're taking me to a place I don't want to go. Yeah. And, and I, I could see where that path was that's, because that's I had a lot of, That's degrees. a lot of critical thought for a 12-year-old. Mm -hmm. Like that's really impressive, but really important at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it was like a seeing older siblings who were in and out of jail, right. who were involved in gangs. It was a preview of what I could see my life becoming because, yeah. um, you know, obviously I can understand things in, in uh, like looking back, but in those moments I could still see like um, they hang out with a certain type of person. They make certain types of decisions and that's what's led them to where they are at that moment that's what made them you know who they were in that moment yeah and so it, it really freaked me out because um i had so few positive influences in that in that stage of my life but but i also knew that the that that the path i was on was not the path i wanted to be on and so yeah what was really interesting was around that time i, I did not grow up in a, in a religious upbringing whatsoever uh i was invited to a church uh from a neighbor and yeah. um and the only reason I went was because I had the hots for a daughter. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, anywhere that girl's going, I'm going with her. And I, I ended up I becoming – I had this conversation with my buddy, my buddy Chris, <laughs> when he interviewed the other day. I was like, 
I'll be honest, right, man. A lot of guys' personal development starts with starts with an attractive lady that they want to they want their number. <laughs> that's right, dude. And so that's what happened. So I got dragged along to this church, and um, there was a couple of things that happened. So first, like like I, you know, I guess what you could describe as like I became a Christian around yeah. that time. But but even uh, alongside that, just as significant was this idea of the other path opening up. Right. Yeah. Because all of a sudden I now had different influences. Yeah. And I was surrounded by people making different decisions. And you can so, see how that was shifting and changing your life just by changing yeah. your environments and your surroundings. Yeah. And so so there was this really pivotal moment when I was 13 that kind of summarizes this transition, which is my brother gave me the biggest bag of weed I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. This was like a you're 13, congratulations, welcome to like adulthood. Here's a bunch of marijuana. Yeah. And I took it in the moment because I was I didn't know what to do. I hid it from my mom and, and I, I felt so super embarrassed. And I knew in that moment that if I smoked it, if I received it, you know, all that, that that this was me, like this was gonna be my life. This was me committed. And, and yeah, it was like I'm going all in. Yeah. And so as at 13, I had to confront my brother. And take it back and be like, I'm not doing that. And then for the next seven years, I didn't have any drugs, any alcohol uh, whatsoever. It was kind of like this cold turkey experience. And so I was far from an angel uh, in my teen years, but I definitely had to like confront this, like this uh, demon, so to speak of like uh, drinking uh, drugs, you know, hooking up with girls, being so young and tried to like figure out this new different uh, path that I was supposed to forge that even though as much as I loved and respect my family had to be away from the yeah. upbringing that I'd been experiencing. Well, I think, I think that's, that's so incredibly hard. And I think there's probably a lot of people listening to this right now that are like, you know, maybe they're in their twenties and thirties and forties. And they're like, I'm, I'm struggling to do that as a 20 or 30 or 40 year old. Mm-hmm. Right. And you were able to do that at 13. Like, how, like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, what does it really take to be able to say like, look, like I, I have to get myself away from my family or these negative influences. Yeah. I'm sure someone can articulate it with like, here are the four P's to like, you know, <laughs> forge your own path. We and, don't, and we I, don't I, want, we don't want the polished no, version. So, I want, I want whatever comes out of Dan's head. <laughs> so, so here are the two thoughts. The first is, uh, I, I, this is the bad news. We'll start with the bad news first. The bad news is sometimes you have to wait until it gets bad enough for you to want to change. Yeah. Like the amount of times that I have looked at myself in the mirror and gone, this is the week that I'm going to dial everything in health wise. Uh, you, you have so many of those failed attempts that you realize that there's, there's moments in time where maybe the pain is so great, the stakes are so high, or maybe the aspiration is just so clear to you that yeah. it's in that moment that actually everything is going to change. But up until that moment, it is just like, it's a wish, it's a yeah. want, it's not a must and a should. Yeah. And and so I think like for me, it became that in those moments. Like there were some really yeah. traumatic moments and some really like violent uh, um, events within my family that led up to that decision of going like, not only do I fast forward and see myself as being in my 20s and drinking and doing drugs and me not liking that i could see the type of person that i would become yeah and that was terrifying to me and so i would say like and that you was your that to... was your rock bottom moment it, that was the for real rock bottom where you're mm-hmm. like i cannot do this anymore 
Yeah. And so that that's the that's the bad news first, right? Is that like sometimes that like you have to just wait. Like it's like you can't yeah. just look someone in the eyes and be like, dude, drugs are bad or drinking is bad or yeah. being broke sucks. Sometimes you have to have a moment that becomes defining for you. That is is the moment that you go like, I'm going all in or I'm stepping away or I'm stepping in. Yeah. The other thing that I would say uh, that I kind of think about that are three things, if I could boil it down to something like that, is like environments, yeah. uh, education and relationships. Yeah. And uh, I would say exposing yourself to places or people that are going to stretch you or challenge you that are going to show you a different side of what's possible, I think has been a huge, huge part of my life, uh, specifically mentorship, um, whether it's official or unofficial, whether it's me looking at the older guys at church and saying, I want to be less like me and more like you. Yeah. Or whether it's reading books, which has been a huge, like, uh, you know, place that I've gone over the years where it's like, I felt completely alone in my city. I felt like I was on my own path, but these people that I find in books feel like we're on similar paths, you know? So I got, I got private victories tattooed on my arm. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's from the book, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. Stephen Covey talks about public victories and private victories. And that whole idea really stuck with me. And then I would say like, um, that idea of relationships has been so pivotal pivotal for me, thinking about the people listening to this and watching this. When you want to change your life, you're very rarely going to do it just completely on your own, right? It's it's It might be your own decision, but in terms of you creating the path, in terms of you creating a plan, that's typically not going to be all like just uh, your super smart ideas. Yeah, You right. want to connect with people that are further along, uh, that have been where you are and are going where you want to be. And I think that's been like, time the thing traveling, that's changed right? my life. T- time traveling. Yeah, you get to go have these conversations with people that have been where you are and gotten to where you want to be, and they get to just explain what it was like. So it's like, now you know what you're going to face. Yeah. And I think I get that right now as a coach, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the role we get to play in business. I understand when I have a business problem, I hire a coach that can help me solve that. Yeah. But that's been true of my whole life. That yeah. when I was trying to figure out how to stop drinking and doing drugs, I had to hang out with people who were not drinking and doing drugs. Yeah. And, and we can overcomplicate it so much, but the reality is, is that it is about relationships. It is about exposure. Yeah. And it is about um, creating places or, or connections that are going to stretch you beyond your current state and your current comfort zone and call you to be more than you are right now. Yeah, I love that. So I want to dig more into the rest of your life because there's several things that that are just fun for me. Um, but you played, you played in uh, a punk band or multiple punk bands, I think, right? I, I played in multiple. So what went along with like the, the single mom upbringing was, uh, she was incredibly supportive and also like was really trusting. So when yeah. I stopped drinking and doing drugs, that was like a, a pretty, um, I mean, she was trusting that I was going to continue to stop, uh, yeah. or continue to not, not yeah. do it. But, um, yeah. but basically I could tell her like, Hey mom, I'm going out of town for the weekend to some concerts. Like, I'll see you on Monday. Yeah. And and I was like 14, 15 at the time. And she was incredibly yeah. supportive. And I had a really good group of friends. And so that had me playing at different festivals and, and concerts. Uh, and, and what in New Zealand would be called like the hardcore scene. It was like, if anyone yeah. watching, I have like these holes in my ears where I used to, you guys in the States, I think would call them gauges. We just called gauges them like tunnels. Yep. <laughs> where I had like my septum pierced, my nose pierced, my lip pierced. <laughs> Uh, and so I was like deep into this, like punk what, hardcore what, were you scene. a drummer? What were you? 
So the beauty of growing up in church was like church is a big part of uh, music is a big part of church. Yeah. And like most small churches, there's always like one instrument down. So I was just the guy that learned different instruments to fill in on the current <laughs> deficit in the church band. Yeah. And so my, my primary instrument was guitar. Yeah. And that was what I played for years. And then the next deficit in the church was drums. And so I was like, <laughs> I'm going to figure out drums. And then it was keys and then it was bass. And so I can kind of play, uh, I'm like a jack of all trades when it comes yeah. to music. You're I'm the, like you're okay the enough man. at all of them. Yeah. I'm the utility man. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to see me like shred on any one of those instruments, but uh, but I can hold my own enough to like carry a tune or whatever else. And so, yeah, that was what happened. I just jumped around different instruments in these punk bands. Oh, that's super awesome. That's fun, man. Um, so obviously you're you're in you're in the church. You eventually become a pastor. Tell me a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, well, I mean, a surprise. <laughs> like, so that was a surprise to me because I thought I was just going to play music. So yeah. I remember being uh, 16, 17 and uh, sitting on the beach with my friends and we were all sitting down dreaming of moving to LA. Like LA for us internationally and obviously- Which is, which is so funny because right now you and I have been talking and, and you and your family are going to come check out Southern California and, and LA right. specifically, right? Uh, well, it's so. funny how life is like that, right? It's like, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't always happen in the time that you think, but uh, some things never never go away in terms of right next steps. And so yeah. that was that was like the pinnacle for me. We were all sitting around going, oh my goodness, we're going to get a flat. Uh, we're going to move to LA. <laughs> we're going to play music. We're going to pursue this dream. And uh, life had other plans. And so when I was uh, 17, I so the big pivotal moment for me in high school was I dropped out of high school. Yeah. So it's funny that this is called shit you don't learn in college because I could probably fill up a podcast with shit I didn't learn in high school. Because you, you didn't even make out. it through the high school part of it. <laughs> that's, that's right, dude. And so that was a big part of, um, again, linking back to my upbringing, which was that I loved education, but I mm -hmm. had no grid for authority. Yeah. Like I could do what I wanted when I wanted the idea of going to school in a uniform, which is like a big part of New Zealand culture. I know yeah. it's not so much in the States. You can wear whatever the heck you like, but like dress like this, go here, be like this. Like I had no grid for it. So I yeah. dropped out when I was 16. When I was 17, I helped plant a church in another city. I did like an internship. Yeah. And throughout that period, it was supposed to just be a 12 month thing. That's what I committed to. Yeah. And at the end of the 12 months, I moved cities and I moved to kind of where I live now. And I went to a church and they needed a youth pastor and, and yeah. they needed a youth pastor because they didn't even have a youth group. Right. And so yeah. they were like, uh, and youth group for anyone wondering is like the, the church equivalent of for teenagers. It's just like, yeah. let's get all the like 13 to 19 year olds in a room and hang mm -hmm. out. Yeah. And, um, and so the conversation started, it was like, Hey Dan, we're looking for a youth pastor. Yeah. Do you happen to know anyone? And I was like, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> like, no, I don't. I'll let you know if I do, but I'm good, right? And I was yeah. 18 at the time. I was a teenager at the time. And long story short, like I said, life had other plans. Uh, that became really obvious to me as like the right next step. Yeah. And what was really big at the time was I committed to five years mentally. I was yeah. like, I'm 18. My friends are all going to university, going to college. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm doing this thing. So I'm going to project as far into the future as I can see, which was five years, yep. which was taking me to 23. And I'm going to I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to give this thing everything I have. And yeah. um, and then fast forward nine and a half years and I, yeah. was, I was still there. Um, and man, I mean, we can dig into it, but it was like uh, so challenging. 
you know, yeah. I, I made uh, 35,000 for most of my, most of my twenties. Yeah. And that's uh 35,000 New Zealand pesos, right? So there's like, so, I'm not even at the USD. Like, like a dollar, dollar 50 US or something, right? <laughs> no, no, yeah. opposite way. Oh yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, 35,000. Yeah, and so, so uh, it was really challenging. I mean, like being a youth pastor, like, like it was um, so challenging in so many ways. And yet like, yeah. I wouldn't what, change what was, it for what anything. What was so challenging about it? Like tell, dig, dig in a little bit there. Yeah, so there's all sorts of um, dynamics at play in a church environment, right? Yeah. Every church is different because church is just made up of people. Yeah. But typically there's like leaders and the, the church pastors are typically very entrepreneurial. Right? Yeah. And so so we ended up, um, I was a youth pastor at a church that became like New Zealand's fastest growing church, which basically meant like when I came, we had 50 to 100 people. And when, when I finished up, we had kind of 1,500 to 2,000 people. Wow. So there's a big, big curve in there. Yeah. Now, what what's happening most of that time is we're just like busting our ass trying to keep up with what's happening uh, in on a Sunday in our gatherings there in the youth community where we started with like five people. By the time we finished, we had a couple of hundred. Right. And so there was just so much work. And it's all like, if you think about a business for a second and anyone who's even not in business, you can empathize with this, right? If you go from a... Uh, you cook like cakes for the neighborhood to you then start taking orders to then you set up a bakery to then you set up multiple locations of a bakery. There are so many skill sets that you have to learn yeah. and so many like levels of capacity you've got to grow through. And that's kind of what it was like at a church, yeah. ex except it was just really hard. <laughs> it was like yeah. no what? one's showing I us how to like sit up the next location. And we're like, Oh crap. How you do we just do had it? to go figure it out? Like, I love that. I always tell people, right. Cause, um, uh, you know, I, I think of uh, uh, Carl Lentz. I, I met at a, uh, a mastermind, um, and he he runs one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest churches out in uh, in New York City. Um, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm not religious. I'm not Christian. But like when him and I got to talking, uh, you know, he was like, and he was explaining what he has to do to have these tens of thousands of people and you know hundreds of people working for him, and they work for him for free, right? Or very minimal pay. I'm like, dude, you want to talk about one of the best leaders in the world, right? Like. I pay my team, right? And and we have we have stuff to work through and we have struggles and you get people to follow you for free and work their asses off for free. Like that takes it takes true leadership, it takes hard work and it takes a lot of learning and entrepreneurialism. So yeah, and I think that's what was so like the biggest gift of my 20s is on the outside Pete like they, I had so many friends that they they saw what I did as maybe noble it was like, wow, that's so cool that that you're doing that for the kids. But I think there was also a huge misunderstanding about like what in the world is Dan doing with his life? Yeah. Because I, I dropped out of high school. I didn't have a degree. Uh, I couldn't point at like a car or a house or money in the bank. That was yeah. a result of all of this hard work. It was basically just working super hard for um, unseen results, right? It yeah. wasn't even just like the people in front of you. I mean, if you want to talk about challenging, it's like, well, like, uh, you, like you talked the, about the Stephen Covey private victories, right? So, right. And so it's that idea of like, uh, in, in the Christian faith, it's about character transformation, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're investing in people to have them become better people. And so you're working with teenagers and you're going, it's not just about morality, but it is about that transformation of who they are, but yeah. that's so hard to measure. Like yeah. you don't get to the end of the day and go, Oh my goodness, transform five people today, baby. Great yeah. day. But what you can do in business is you can say, I made five grand today. Great yeah. day. 
And so it was very hard for me to quantify success and for people outside to quantify any sort of progress or success or results. But looking back, the thing I'm most grateful for is a, is almost a decade of, of stacking skills. Yeah. And so the big backbone to all of this is a big part of what I did was I spoke on stages. And yeah. so early on, those stages were really not stages. I mean, it was just like there were three people in front of me. It was, and I was, it was like, a group. It was a group in a room. I was like, here's to, you know, I got my Bible in front of me. I'm like, here's the inspiring message of the day. And I'm kind of like <laughs> listening to someone like Carl Lentz and like regurgitating kind of what he said in a really like poor way. And then that escalated over that decade to where I was speaking to groups of 5,000 people. And so over those nine years, I spoke on stage probably about 500 times. Like there were yeah. periods of, of days where it was like three or four days where I spoke, you know, 11 to 15 times. And the other piece here is not just the reps on stage, but think about how crazy this is. If you're a, a motivational speaker, let's take Stephen Covey, for example, that dude doesn't have 50 speeches. Like he will have a handful yeah. that he just refines over and over again. It's better goes from and conference better. to conference, event to event. Pastors don't work like that, man. Like yeah. we have the same group of people every week. So of course you've got traveling speakers, but for us, we were dealing with the same groups. So it was like, cool, this week's message, that's going to be 30 to 45 minutes long, has to be different than yeah. last week's message. Yeah. And so not only was it the presentation skills that I was honing, it was the ability to think critically, Cre the ability to create, yeah. how to persuade people, how to inspire people, how to know when to lower your voice so they know it's important, how to, know, you know, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And so I didn't realize that at the time. Like I didn't understand the value of what I was building at all. I knew it was the right thing. I knew it was important in the time. I, and I was definitely enjoying it, wasn't all suffering by any means. Yeah. But what gave me some really quick business success was the stacking of skills for almost a decade. Yeah. And so that's the biggest piece of advice I would give people who aren't where they want to be is how do you uh, stack skills? How do yeah. you gain experience? How do you learn things now in today that will prepare you for the tomorrow that you're looking for? Yeah. I love that. And again, just to bring it back to Stephen Covey, because I feel like he's just awesome, but like the, the production versus production capability, right? So how can you grow your ability to produce more, better, faster, right? Continuing to grow yourself. Um, I love that, man. So you just, you just mentioned, okay, you built a lot of skills when eventually you transitioned to the business world. So tell me about that transition. Like why, why did you stop pastoring? What, like, How'd you get to this point now where, okay, I've got ClickFunnels awards on my wall and I'm, <laughs> I'm the online magician, like talk to me. Yeah, dude. So it, it took me by surprise, Yeah, I think is probably the, the first place to start is my wife and I, um, so I'm married, been married yeah. for eight years, um, you know, Christian over here. So we had an early marriage, you know, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. 22 years old, let's go. Um, and then I have two kids. So I've got a, uh, almost five-year-old. He's five uh, in 27 days. And then I got a one-and-a-half-year-old. And so um, at the time, we just had one kid. We were married. This is this is what we thought we would do for the rest of our life. Um, probably for two reasons. One, it was just easier to think like that uh, because it meant that you could get the most amount of meaning out of what you're doing now by just assuming that this was important for a really long time. Yeah. And the second thing was like, I think my vision was so small for my life based on a very small skill set that the world would recognize as valuable you know no degree had and go and build a business i was a youth pastor yeah. um i just thought that was what we we're going to do and so end of 2017 um we started to get this sense 
that it was time to finish up. Now, at that time, we were like talking and planning about actually going to plant a church in LA, yeah, um, which is furthers the LA connection, right? And so um, that was what was on, on the cards for us at that point. That's what there, made did, sense did to I, us. Where did I meet you? I met you at a at an event. Was it here in San Diego? I think it was at Vince's event. So, so let, me, so let yeah. me get to that because that's okay. so crazy because we okay. met in the first month of me starting business. So okay. end of 2017, uh, that was what we started to get a sense. And then by April, we'd finished up. It, it was like a, a four-month transition. It became very clear to us. And uh, I'm a person of faith, right? I, I try and like seek uh, God's wisdom on what 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 am I going to do for the next uh, part of my life? And I can tell you there have been so many moments in my life where I feel like I have had divine wisdom yeah. and divine next steps and real clear sense of what to do from here. And it works out so well. I'm like, surely that did not come from me. That would be yeah. my belief. Yeah, I finished up. And I had no sense of direction whatsoever, like nothing. <laughs> like it was almost like I left the divine sense back in pastoring, yeah. which which would which would make sense with the narrative, right? It's like, you know, I'm now not pastoring. I'm like doing yeah, my God's own thing. Like, like God's, God's like, nah, you're on your own on this one, Dan. <laughs> That's right, Just dude. Puts you a middle so finger we, and goes, be on your way. <laughs> yeah. And so what was so funny is on the Sunday night, this is April 15th, uh, 2018, uh, we finish off. There's a big party because we've been there for like nine years. And then the next day I am like, well, babe, I don't have a job. I think I'm going to start a business. Yeah. And at that time, uh, for anyone familiar with him, Gary Vaynerchuk was like hitting his peak. Oh, not peak, but he was hitting his stride. Like yeah. he was very much hitting the mainstream. And he was talking about this idea of social media marketing. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, sweet. I'm going to start one of those. Uh, not, <laughs> not knowing too much about what that entailed. And so that day, I uh, started that business. And so I started calling yeah. people, hey, I can run your Facebook ads. I can build a website. I can do all that. And so by the end of that first month, I'd made $12,000, which was epic. And yeah. I can only uh, credit that half, towards- Like almost first. half your, a third of your income from what you were making before. Yeah, it, it, it broke some beliefs. Let's just say that. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and so- I can credit that to like building rapport with a lot of people over a long period of time who are willing to give me a shot. And the yeah. second thing is the skill transition, right? Where it's like going from pastoring to business or any other transition for that matter, uh, you can't take everything with you, but you can take your skills. And so yeah. that's, that's exactly what I brought with me. And in that month, I realized I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah. I connect with this guy, Vince Del Monte through Instagram. And he's like, dude, I'm hosting an event in San Diego. You've got to come out. Now, what was hilarious is that I was running a social media marketing agency. His business at the time was basically working with like fitness coaches. So yeah. I had no business being there, but yeah. I flew out and I came and that was where I met you. Yeah, and so uh, that was a really formative time. That trip, I, I went to another event during that time, but that was kind of my foray into uh, online business. Everything was in a different language to me. I remember, I remember uh, something really critical. Um, I remember the moment of the morning that the event started, I was feeling so nervous because I had this perception, uh, it's a bunch of fitness professionals, right? So I had this perception of like, everyone I'm, I'm about to walk into a room with is gonna be super buff and yeah. real rich. Yep. And those were like two insecurities that I had that I was like, well shit, I'm neither. So <laughs> I felt really insecure. And I can tell you right now, in fact, let me just see if I can bring this up in, in kind of 10 seconds or less. But basically what happened was I was sitting in Starbucks and I was um, thinking about how awkward that I felt. 
and how uh, weird. Let me just find this right now. Here we go. This is literally a, a journal entry from Dan's diary, 13th of May, 2018. Oh so less God. than 30 let's, days let's after I finished. Let's hear it. I said, um, where is it here? Leading into the mastermind, I'm so excited for the content, but I've been cr confronted with all sorts of insecurities. I'm about to be surrounded by jacked, wealthy dudes all weekend. This is literally what it says. <laughs> but that's okay. I know one, this is literally what it says. I know one day I'll be a jacked, wealthy dude too. But that's not really the point. The point is that I have worth, uh, I have to work, what does it say? The point is that I have worth outside of the way I, oh, the, the point is that I have worth outside of the way I look and how much money I have. But I said, even as I'm writing this, I'm realizing how selfish these thoughts are. This weekend is also about how much I can give and serve and love others. And I don't need to be called to do that. I can just go ahead and do that. And and I know that's like a weird thing to kind of bring into a podcast of like Dan's diary. But I remember in that moment, like I felt really terrified that yeah. there was this way of life and this way of thinking and this way of speaking that I had um, developed over nine years of like being a pastor that I was like, oh goodness, like I've cut that off and now I'm a business dude. And I'm not a business dude. Like I'm yeah. not jacked, wealthy, like all these things I perceived I needed to be in order to succeed in this world. But what I realized was not only did I bring over my skills, I could bring over my character traits. Yeah. And so I walked into that room and I remember so vividly, I was like, I feel like the least person here, but I'm going to choose to serve this weekend and do anything I can. So literally I walked in, someone was putting books out on the table. So I'm like, hey dude, let me help you with that. Put books yeah. out on the table. I started figuring out if I could help the hotel staff like with coffees and things like that. Yeah. And, and it was so funny. Like I remember hearing this quote and this is exactly what's happening in this moment is that like you want to turn your nervous into service. Oh, I and I remember that. that was exactly what I was doing in that moment. And that's one of the things that has been so incredibly powerful in this journey with me going from pasta, which is seemingly 100 miles away from what I'm doing now to what I'm doing now. Yeah, There's skills that transfer. But the thing that I've tried my best to do is to bring virtues and character traits over. And I would say like, that's the other big piece that people miss is that if you develop discipline in a season you don't enjoy, that discipline will carry over to you in a season you do enjoy. Yeah. If you develop uh, the ability to restrain your impulses, right, to to not do the things you want to do, right, that might lead to like the short-term gain, the long-term pain, right, like debt, yeah. overeating, right, whatever it might be, those character traits go with you from season to season, from job to job, from opportunity to opportunity, and if you neglect to build them today, then you are forcing yourself to have to build them later in the future. Yeah. But the problem is that which, you which might actually Which chances are you're probably there. not going to do that in the future. A hundred percent. And so that was, I remember that was a really pivotal moment where I was like, I'm still a pastor. Yeah. And not in the literal vocational sense, but like the person I've been building myself to be in the last nine years isn't done and gone now. And now I've got to put on like business hat and pretend I'm like, yeah, I work out. Yeah, totally. It's like, yeah. dude, I don't work out. Like I'm trying to work out now. Um, <laughs> but the point being like, I didn't have to be someone I wasn't. I just could fully be who I was in a different environment. Yeah. And I think that was huge. And it's something that's really marked the last three year journey for me. I think that's, that's amazing, man. Cause I think that, that, that transition for a lot of people is so important. And I, you know, when I left the corporate world, I, you know, I was always like, oh my God, like I don't have, I've never been an entrepreneur before. I never had any, uh, you know, I don't have an, uh, an audience or a brand or a skill set or any of these things, but I had a lot of skills that I had built in the corporate world. I think originally when I left the corporate world, I was like, man, I wish you became an entrepreneur earlier. 
right? But now I look back on it, I'm like, the reason that I'm able to do what I do is because of that past. Like, I am still Xander at Cisco, and you know, I had the big clients and I had all that sort of stuff, and I just translated that into the business we're building now, and I couldn't have done it without that, right? Yeah, and this is this is a funny just life truth is yeah. that like if you think about relationships, for example, the reason people go from failed relationship to failed relationship is they don't take the lessons and they learn them from the between path. now and the next relationship. Yeah, right. So they just go, oh, cool, I'm going to figure it out next time. And you're like, you can figure it out now because relationship problems are typically personal problems you bring into the relationship, but we yeah. don't because we think let's wait until we can figure it out later because we all have this uh, optimistic almost yeah. like fantasy view of the future where we're going to have more willpower, things will be easier. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, like work, like my business is, is more fun and more fulfilling for me now than ever before, but it's still just hard work. Like yeah. it still requires discipline and focus and intention and restraint. And I'm not some mystical future Dan that is now more readily equipped to just deal with that stuff than Dan five years ago who was yeah. procrastinating. I just had to stack the skills to become that person. Yeah. You don't step into a reality and all of a sudden have all those things that you wish to have. And so that's one of the things that I think uh, has been a huge lesson for me, especially like I'm 30 now and in my 20s, was not wasting any particular time, any season, and trying to draw all of the goodness out of it that I could. Like COVID is a great example of that. The like COVID sucked. Like anyone who yeah. says like COVID was awesome, like I don't know what planet you were on, but it wasn't Earth on 2020 because for most of us, it just sucked. It sucked, yeah. But if you missed the goodness of in, in, in the lessons that you could learn, the skills, the, the uh, opportunity to spend more time with your loved ones in your bubble, right? Like all that yeah. stuff. Like you missed it. Like you that don't get to that go That was back. your choice, yeah. And, and that was that was an, a rare opportunity, right? Yeah. And do I wish it upon anyone else? And should we go through it again? Heck no, please no, never again. But yeah. the point is, we had a we had. And it's time been hard in, enough in that place. I've been away from you for eighteen months. Please don't make it. <laughs> please don't make it happen. For I know, <laughs> I know, dude. But that's the thing is, I caught myself so many times just wishing it would be over, rather than going like, it's going to be over when it's going to be over. Yeah. What are the lessons I can learn now? Who who? Like what character traits, what skills, right? Yeah. Can I build in this time? What beliefs can I instill in this time that are going to serve me when the world opens up again? Yeah. When when everything goes back to normal, how so can I, I be I, a better I, version of myself? Yeah, I do want to. I do want to hit on this for a second because that type of mentality and that perspective, um, I have noticed, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have noticed stems from something you mentioned earlier, which is faith. Right. Uh, a faith that like, you know, like there's 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 good that comes in this world, even when I go through bad stuff. Right. So what what is the lesson I can learn as I go through, like you mentioned, the tough seasons? How can I become better and bigger and stronger? Whether you want to call it religious or you want to call it faith, uh, whether you believe in God or the universe or Mother Earth, mm -hmm. right? I've I've found that the most successful entrepreneurs do have some underlying level of faith. Because frankly, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is batshit crazy, right? Like it, it it's right. Ill, it's illogical, right? It's it's if if you think that you can be logical and run a business, you are del like del like delusional, absolutely delusional, right? Mm -hmm. So, could you talk to that a little bit, like your faith and how that's helped you as an entrepreneur and make it through tough times and everything like that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, the most important picture to paint is a realistic one, which is that I don't always maintain that perspective, right? Like, yeah. I, like everyone else, uh, apparently, 
got, I got into drinking more. I was eating more. I was like, this is the worst. Like I'm going to, yep. and, and then I was like, oh, this isn't going away. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I'm becoming a person right now <laughs> rather, yeah, rather than going, going through like a quarantine tendency. vacation. Yeah. <laughs> oh dude, for sure. And I think uh, that's really important to say is that like, even as a person of faith, and I know uh, we can kind of paint these pictures where it's like, oh, like I've got this perspective and it's all good. Like it's, it's not always all good, but like yeah. one of the things that it has really guided my life is the story of Joseph in the scriptures. And even yeah. if you're not a person of faith, you would have heard this, right? It's like Joseph in the technicolored coat. And so he yeah. starts out his life, he has a dream and he is, uh, you know, ambitious enough or foolish enough to tell his parents his dream, which is he sees like he's, uh, what is it? It's like, um, the moon and the stars worship him or something like that. And they interpret it as like, you know, they're all going to worship him. I'll bow down one day. And they're like, that's crazy. And he gets sold into slavery and there's this whole story. And so Joseph goes from, uh, being the beloved son to getting, uh, thrown into a pit by his brothers to yeah. being sold to slave traders to then go into this uh, person's house called part of his house, right? Where he is absolutely crushing it as like the head servant. And then the the wife accuses him of trying to sleep with her because he won't sleep with her. Yeah. And so then he gets banished to a prison. And so all of these things happen. And then eventually the story plays out where he becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. Now, the point is not even whether or not you believe that's a literal historical event or not. It's the picture of most people's life, which is like you have aspirations and ambitions, ambitions in your heart that probably don't match your reality 99% of the time. Yeah. Right. You have to, you have to figure out how to reconcile the gap, yeah. the gap between the life you want to live and the life you're living right now, the person you want to be and the person you are right now. And the thing I love about this story of this guy, Joseph, is it said wherever he was, God blessed it because of who he was and how he worked. He was in prison. Yeah. He became the head prisoner because he was someone who was trying to look after the other prisoners. He was trying to make the best of a bad situation. And I think the the thing for my life that that draws the most amount of meaning for me, especially when it comes to my faith, is I'm trying to find the meaning in every season that I find myself in. Yeah. Because I found myself in more seasons that are hard than are awesome. Yeah. Right. Like I think every awesome season is preceded by a bunch of crap or there's just multiple things going on. It's like you yep. can have your best month of profit and your worst month of health or your relationship is strained or yep. there's something going on in your family. And so the thing I'm always trying to draw from is what is the meaning that I can pull from these circumstances? And one of my absolute heroes in the world is a guy called Viktor Frankl who yeah. wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which if you've never read it, you should read it. But he said this, and this is a guy who was in Auschwitz uh, as a prisoner of war. Um, he he dodged death, one of the very few people to do that through World War II. Yeah. And he says, um, the last of man's humans' freedoms, uh, is, is, sorry, what is it? Man's, the last of man's humans' freedom, human, oh my goodness, I'm like butchering. This is my favorite quote. I'm going to bring this up, dude. This is, this is like freaking the best. <laughs> Where is it? Frankel. I've got it was written down. Basically, it's like the last of our freedoms that can be taken away from you is your ability to choose how you respond in any given circumstance. Yeah. That's the last human freedom. People can take away your ability to drink clean water, to eat, shelter over your head. They can wrong you. They can abuse you. They can do all they sorts can of things. They can imprison you. Would... They can do all that. Yeah. And, and the last freedom they could never take from you 
is your ability to choose how you respond in any given situation. And so my faith shapes how I try to respond to those things. Yeah. Like we've, we've gone through so many difficult circumstances uh, in the last few years, you know, like my business was going super awesome. We moved countries to Australia. And then my wife who had just given birth to our son was battling like really severe postnatal depression. Yeah. And it was simultaneously the best time, right? Moving towns, like living in this super awesome house, got a pool, feel like a freaking baller. And then my, my relationship was like crumbling because yeah. my wife's mental health is so poor. And we had to move countries twice in 16 weeks, literally yeah. sell everything, buy everything, sell everything, go back, buy everything. It was so stressful. But for me, I'm trying to figure out like, how am I going to respond? Yeah. And what is the... What's that last freedom that life cannot rob me of, which is my ability to choose how I respond in any given circumstance? Yeah, I love that, man. I think that's that's something that in the end, if like everybody would start to take that away, like to show up at a different level, choose how you respond rather than being reactive to your surroundings. I think we'd frankly, we'd all just be happier, right? Dude, yeah. Dan, this is, this has been absolutely stellar, man. I I don't want to take too much more of your time because I know you're just starting the day out there in in New Zealand. You got work to do, but uh, um, you know, the last question that I want to ask you is, if you could go back to high school, let's say, not even college, what's one thing that you wish they taught you in high school? Dude, so there's like lots of like top of mind answers, like how to manage money, what the heck are taxes, all that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I would say, I would say, um, man, I would say the power of your choices. And I know that's like the most trite thing to say, but I think like one, one of my favorite quotes is like, life is a series of choices and the choices you make, make you. And that was yeah. a theme that obviously I've shared over the course of my life. I, I knew I was right. I just didn't know how right I was. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of like how much that actually shapes you, you know, it's it's really um, your your past is not your destiny, right? It's like, it's like who you've been doesn't have to determine who you're going to be. Who your family's been doesn't have to determine the type of person you're going to live. Uh, type of person you're going to become and so i think yeah. like if if someone could have sat me down earlier and said like you can actually forge your own way and you can become anyone you want to be and i'm not talking about like disney american idol syndrome of life <laughs> if you can't sing like just pretend you can sing and it's all good but but just that true depth of like the person that you could become yeah and the type of impact that you could have on the world, if someone had sat me down earlier and explained that there are no rules, that yeah. most of how the world operates is completely made up, Monday to Friday, 40 hours a week, like the, you know, high school to college to like, you know, degree to great job path, like it's all kind of made up and that you can actually make decisions that change who you are, that make things possible that currently feel impossible. Like if someone has told me that, and show me that earlier on, I think I would be um, even better off than I am now. Yeah, I love it, man. Maybe maybe you wouldn't have taken that advice because you didn't go through the process that you went. But and that's the that's, that's the hard that's thing the, about going back in time, man. It's that's like part, right? Do I want to change anything? Exactly. But yeah, that's what I what I would have done. You know, I, I love it, man, dude. Dan, this has been great. Um, where can people learn more about you? Get get more doses of Dan, and uh, if they're interested in working with you, learn about that too. Yeah, so if you are uh, interested in being a coach or consultant or currently have a business, uh, the best place to find us is on Facebook, uh, a Facebook group called the High Ticket 
community. Somewhere around there, you'll see my big face and uh, you'll know, hey, this is Dan's group. Um, outside <laughs> of that, just keep downloading Xander's podcast as they will help you immensely. But that's where I hang out on the internet. Uh, I love you, man. Thanks for joining the show. Can't wait till you get out here in California, but thanks for being on today, Me brother. Too. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All right. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton. Thanks a ton.